Good morning. Good. Good. <coughs> good morning. Welcome to Calvary Fountain Hills. These my notes. They are. This is why. Okay, here we go. Now I'm cooking with gas. Welcome to Calvary Fountain Hills. Nice blustery day out there. Much needed rain. We are very grateful and thankful. Christmas Eve service is Sunday. Uh, no, I lied. Um, Christmas Eve service is Saturday. I was actually announcing for next year. Uh, for, but, but for this year, it's Saturday, December 24th at 5 p.m., and uh, we're going to be doing uh, a special service here in the sanctuary, family service. Everyone comes in, bring the kids to celebrate Christmas Eve. And then Christmas Day service will be in here um, at, on Sunday, December 25th at 10 a.m. It will be a different service, type of service. We're not going to be going through Acts, obviously, but um, we'll uh, be doing a special Christmas Day service. That will also be a family service. It'll be a shortened service. Um, if you want coffee, bring your own. Um, because we're not going to do all the hospitality and everything. We'll, we'll keep it uh, shorter that way. And, um, and then everyone can go home and celebrate Christmas. Uh, ladies Bible Study is Wednesday, January 4th at 6.30 p.m. They're going to continue their study uh, through um, the life of Joseph. And uh, you can read more about it here in the bulletin. Hopefully you got one. And... Uh, we print these out so you can take this stuff home and keep track of what's going on. Uh, you don't have to leave them here. So men's Bible study is January 11th at 6.30 p.m. We're going to continue our study through First and Second Peter. And then we're going to have a dinner and fellowship on January uh, 14th. It's a Saturday at 5 o'clock p.m. Uh, we do those in here where we have um, a chili night where people get to bring their chili and share it with each other. And, uh, and then we hand out warning stickers so that, um, so that we don't lose anyone because of chili. So uh, we're, we'll be doing this. So signups will be um, available next week for that. It's, um, it, it's always a good time because everybody gets to bring their own type of chili. And sometimes we um, get unusual types of chili. I think I'll make an unusual chili this time, you know. So not, not the usual one out of a can. Okay. You can read the rest of the bulletin at your leisure. We're going to be celebrating communion today. It's the first... Sunday in the month. Can you imagine? It's December. And uh, it just, how did this happen, right? Well, you know, um, a lot of people are going to be saying, how did this happen? Uh, but 
we get together here in fellowship and take communion together because um, we love the Lord. We love uh, just fellowshipping and uh, being connected one with another. That's what communion is all about. And so today we're going to just spend a little bit of time doing that and then we're going to continue our study in the book of Acts. Lord, we thank you for our time of fellowship here. We thank you that you are the Lord of our lives. We thank you for the rain. And uh, we desperately need it here in our land. But Lord, you already know what we need. And you do provide everything we need. So uh, thank you, Lord, for what you're blessing us with. Father, we pray that uh, you would touch Cheryl. Her head is aching this morning, and uh, and she hardly ever takes a day off, but today she needed a, a little bit of rest. So bless her. I, I thank you for the day yesterday, for the craft day where all the women came out and had uh, a lot of fun. Uh, we thank you for giving us the opportunity to do those fun things together as a fellowship. We pray that you would be honored and glorified here today by all that takes place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, all the ladies that came out, was it a good time? Huh? Yeah. I I saw some of the creative um, uh, ornaments and everything that were there. It was a lot. I wanted to just jump in and do... No, I didn't. Um, I, I let you guys do that time. Let's all stand and worship together. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us. 
I've heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. It's a new day 
darling It's time to sing your song again Whatever may pass And whatever lies before me Let me be singing when the Your holy name 
Thank you for all you have done for us, for coming to this earth, this pit of despair. You've come here to make it possible for us to be there. But without you, it would be impossible. So thank you for all you have done. As we open up this time of communion, Lord, we want to celebrate what you have made possible through your life and death and resurrection. Thank you, Lord. We are grateful to be called the children of the living God only because of you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Please be seated. Communion is, um, I believe, an honor for us to celebrate. It's something that um, we should do regularly. We can do as often as we want. Uh, we just have to set time aside to do that. Get ourselves juice and a cracker and sit down and then just Spend time with the Lord. Thank him for who he is, for what he's done. We're told that when we take communion, we're celebrating the Lord's death until he comes. And that doesn't seem like something to celebrate, but it surely is. Because without his death, we would be suffering forever we would be dead in our sins and never have a way out of them. And so because of what he has done, we have a way. His name is Jesus. And so we celebrate not only his death, but his life through resurrection, through the fact that he demonstrated power over sin and death by rising again from the dead. And he's just waiting right now. I, I think they got the horse out of the stable. And, you know, he's waiting to return. He's waiting for word from the Lord, from God the Father. You know, it's time. And then... As we read in Revelation chapter 4, when the Lord calls John up to heaven, he says, come up here. It's going to be just like that. Come up here. And the next thing you know, we'll see what John saw. And so it's going to be an amazing thing. In the meantime, we get to live here. And we get to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those around us that don't know 
today in our message, we're going to talk about Paul sharing that message of hope and, and faith to his own people. And they reject it. So if Paul's own people reject it, why do we get disappointed? Our job is not to force people into salvation. Our job is just to let them know that it's available and that they get to make a choice. So uh, we get, uh, sometimes we make it a lot harder than it really is. Sometimes we, you know, we make it all about our delivery. The way we say something, what, how often we say it, you know, and maybe we said it wrong. That's up to the Holy Spirit. Do you want to do something really powerful? Pray. You pray for the unsaved and pray for those that you're going to come in contact with that maybe the Holy Spirit will overflow you and touch their lives. Today as we celebrate communion, let's consider what God has done in our own lives. Let's consider how much love he has not only, it's not God loves the whole world. Oh yes, he does. But he loves you individually. He knows your name. He knows the hairs on your head. The number of hairs on, can you imagine? He has a bottle of your tears. He knows everything that you're going through in life. And sometimes we miss out on that fine detail of what our relationship really is with the Lord and with Jesus. And so when we celebrate today, it's a good time to reflect back, how is my life going? How am I doing? How am I living? How am I loving others and Jesus? You know, and then ask, you know, I know I don't, I'm not perfect at it ever. But I know that he is going to make us perfect when that time comes. But until that day, we can ask for forgiveness. For when we ask for forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not just for the sinner that has never repented. That's for us too. Because we continue to sin. We're just flesh. So we make mistakes. But this is a great time for us to consider that. And consider, okay, Lord, I know that I'm not doing the best I can. Forgive me. Help me. Restore me. Refresh me. The communion itself doesn't do anything magical. It's a commitment by us. It's saying, I'm taking this bread because I'm united in Christ in the fact that he gave his body to be broken for me. And I'm taking this bread in communion, in connection with him. I am drinking this juice because I'm showing that I'm covered in his blood. I'm the one that he 
died for and shed his blood for. And because of that, I can be forgiven of my sin and I have been forgiven of my sin. Don't think that you've disqualified yourself and now you're not going to make it to heaven unless you do this. That's not what it's about. You see, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and ask him into your heart, that's forever. And we need to remember that we are saved. And so when we remember that and we act like we're saved because we know this awesome thing that Jesus did for it just comes out of us because we realize how precious the blood of Jesus is, how precious his death is to us. And when we live like that, that's powerful. That's going to draw people into a relationship with him. The ushers are going to hand out communion. When they do, just hang on to it, and we're going to partake in a couple of minutes. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity once again to remember you in this time of communion. And we pray that you would open our hearts to the things that you want to speak to us about, that you want us to abandon the baggage from the past, leaving it outside, and Lord, refresh us anew, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So as the ushers pass out communion, just hang on to it. We'll partake in a minute. Um, please, no talking or anything like that. Just focus on your relationship with Jesus.
the apostles were gathered together with Jesus once again. They were used to having dinner with Jesus. That wasn't unusual. They did it all the time. Jesus pulled fish out of a basket when it was only a few, and, and he would just produce bread and fish, and, and they were used to him doing miracles. What they weren't used to in, in, in this time of sitting there, they weren't used to Jesus proclaiming something that was going to change everything for them. They just didn't realize it. And Jesus told them many things that they didn't understand. But this was something special on that night when he passed around the bread, he blessed it, broke it, and he was talking about his bread being um, his flesh. And they were confused with that. They didn't understand. Well, Jesus called himself the bread of life. And when we recognize, it's easy in hindsight to go back and read it and say, oh, boy, it, this makes so much sense. It didn't make sense to them. Lord, we thank you for the bread of life, for the broken body of your son. He willingly went to the cross, gave himself so that we wouldn't have to do the same. He made the way for us through his broken body. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And they took it, they broke it, and partook together. After supper, he took the cup and he said, this is a cup of my blood. This is the new covenant. Leviticus 17.11 says, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And that's why they killed animals for animal sacrifice. But animal sacrifice wasn't enough to wash away the sin. It was only enough to cover sin. And so they had to do this on a regular basis. But Jesus, because his sin was pure and sin-free, he was able to cover all the sin in the world through his blood. And he allowed his blood to be shed. Thank you, Lord, for your shed blood for us. Without it, we wouldn't have a way into heaven. But because of the shed blood of Jesus, we now have forgiveness of sin that lasts forever. Thank you, Lord, for sending your Son to shed his blood for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Partake. Father, we thank you for this time of communion. 
remembering once again what it cost for us to experience eternal life as sons and daughters of the living God. Thank you for sending your son for us. Thank you that we here are gathered together in your name to remember what you have done, and we are glad. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have uh, two minutes, so stand up, say hello to someone, and then sit back down. Alrighty then. We're going to be in Acts chapter 22 today. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to our hearts today. We're excited, Lord, because we're seeing your word come to life all around us. Lord, help us to stay focused 
on the truth and on what's important. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're in Acts chapter 22 today. We're going to resume in verse 23. Let me pause. Hey, Joel, that camera isn't on. No, this camera. It's not recording. Now, it's not like that was a major thing, but I'd like to keep you included on what's going on. You know? So... um, that's actually a backup of the backup, so that if anything goes wrong with the main recording, we have a backup recording there. And uh, so now you know all the technical things that go on behind the scene. Oh, it's, it's powerful. We're, we're like a major recording studio here. We will be in Acts chapter 22 today, resuming in verse 23. And we left off last week as Paul gave his testimony to a bunch of Jews that were about to kill him. Well, they were killing him, but they got cut off and they had to stop because the Roman guard came down and stopped them from killing him. He then decided, hold on, I want to share the gospel with them. You know, isn't it at times like this where we just say, get me out of here, right? People want to persecute me. People want to, you know, talk bad about me. I just get me out of here. Let them, they're going to go where they're going to go, right? But you see, Paul wasn't like that. Paul said, hold on. I want to speak to this crowd. I want them to know the truth. I want to share with them the love of Jesus. It's like, Paul, really? They were just trying to kill you. You want to spend eternity with these people? Yeah, he did. He, he loved the people that much. So he tells them all about the Damascus Road experience that he had. Meeting Jesus on that road. And all the events that happened at that moment. And they didn't blink an eye. You remember, they didn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. They put Jesus to death. But here, they didn't have a problem with what he was telling them. They were listening. He gave a detailed account of what took place. And then he said... But Jesus told me, I'm supposed to bring the word to the Gentiles. Whoa. That lit them up. They couldn't take that. They could hear everything else up until that point, but not that. It says in Acts 22:22, And they listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voice and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth. For he is not fit to live. So that was their attitude towards Gentiles. Unless you're Jewish by birth or you're a proselyte into Judaism, you're a Gentile. That's the only two 
brands that there are, Jews and Gentiles, as far as Jews are concerned. Today's message is titled, What Not to Say. We continue Acts 22, we're going to pick it up in verse 23, where we read, Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. So they're throwing dirt up in there. This is something, this is a Jewish thing, you know, where, you know, we're upset, we're mad, we're going to tear our clothes and we're going to throw dirt up in the air. And it was showing how upset they were. It was a demonstration. You guys do this probably still, right? No, we, we don't. We found new ways. We, we get on Facebook and we start letting people know what, you know, our Instagram posts have just a little bit of flavor to them. But, you know, Paul uh, was watching all of this take place. He knew that he was in trouble, but he wasn't worried about it. He watched them acting like they were, and he didn't get nervous. The, the, the commander of the troops there, he, he was nervous. He was like, oh, they're going to kill this guy. Let's get him to safety. And they picked him up, brought him into the barracks. The commander, his name was Claudius Lysias, and he was well-known in that area. He was actually well-liked. Um, but he was very strict. He, you know, he did things his way, and this is the way it was going to have to be. He didn't know what Paul said, because Paul was speaking the language of the Hebrews, and he didn't speak that language. So he just figured, okay, Paul is the problem. They all got upset because of something he said, and so it must be Paul. Paul must be the problem. And so uh, they had this practice, the Romans had a practice of when someone was a troublemaker, scourge them until they confessed of their crime. Now, scourging, you've probably seen this before in some of the movies about Jesus and his crucifixion when they would whip with a bunch of leather on an end of a stick. Well, in some instances, they would tie bone in there. And so it would rip the flesh as they would whip. Um, this probably wasn't to that level. Uh, they were probably just using leather whips at this point. But Paul had been scourged before. And he was... Not that he was used to it and, it and he started to enjoy it. It was still very painful. And he was willing to do it because of his love for Jesus. I don't know that God took away that pain while he was going through it. I know Jesus didn't 
have his pain taken away while he was being scourged. He was in excruciating pain. And so here is Paul. They're getting ready to scourge him. And they bound him with thongs. And thongs are just strips of leather, which is preferable than chains. Chains just, you know, gnaw at your skin and hurt. Uh, But they bound him with these strips of leather. And Paul said to centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? This was a rhetorical question. It isn't lawful to scourge a man who is a Roman citizen who is uncondemned. You can only administer the punishment after uh, the guilt has been determined and then the punishment has been ordered. So this was not something that they were allowed to do. This was actually an illegal practice. And when the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander saying, take care what you do for this man is a Roman. And the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, yes. And the commander answered, with a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, but I was born a citizen. Uh, So the law for the Romans was you're innocent until proven guilty similar to what we have in the United States today, and sometimes it almost works. But here, Paul was innocent. He didn't do anything. All he did was speak to this crowd, and the crowd broke out in a riot. If you wanted to attack anyone, go attack the crowd. They're the ones that were wrong. They weren't even allowed to bind a Roman citizen until he had been charged and had his day in court uh, before he was tried. They weren't allowed to do that. And Paul reveals his citizenship, and now Claudius is concerned. There were three ways to obtain a Roman citizenship. One is that it was given to you in honor of something that you've done for Rome. The leader can then say, okay, you have done a blessing for Rome, we're going to give you a Roman citizenship. And you, you were then declared a Roman at that point. But there's another way. You can buy your citizenship with a great sum of money. And all you have to do is you know, give them the money and they will give you the citizenship. And I'm sure that it was different from location to location, Roman city to Roman city, uh, to where this is done. But uh, it wasn't a set fee. The fee to become a Roman is this much. But they um, had that as an option. And Claudius, it says, he gave a great sum of money to obtain his Roman citizenship. And number three, you can be born into it. That is the preferable way of being a Roman citizen. I was born here. In the United States, those of us that are born here, sometimes we take that for granted. We're citizens because we were born here. 
And there are many people that want to become citizens and they have to take these tests. They have to go through all kinds of classes and then they have to be, pass a test to become a citizen of the United States. The unfortunate thing is the larger majority of the citizens of the United States couldn't pass that test. And that's unfortunate. And, and so we kind of take advantage of this citizenship that we have. Paul was a Roman by birth. And so that was one-upping um, the uh, Claudius who obtained it through money. And then immediately those who were about to examine him, meaning scourge him to get information out of him, examine him, withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. See, now he's in trouble because he did something he shouldn't have done, binding this Roman citizen. Uh, this Roman citizen. So we go into verse 30. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So here he is. He wants to come to a conclusion of what actually took place. This is what he should have done in the first place, but he didn't know that Paul was a Roman citizen. So considering the fact, oh, he's just a Jew that we are over, then we'll just treat him like everyone else. But then when he found out he was a citizen, the treatment changed. What he was going to do changed. He, they weren't going to look for the actual explanation of what took place until they determined that he was a citizen. And he commanded, this is the commander, he commanded the chief priests and their council to appear. He had the authority to do that. He had the authority to say, I want you guys to come here so that we can get to the bottom of what is going on. And now Paul is actually considered a preferred person over those that are now being brought in. Before it was, well, we don't care. It's one Jew that may be killed so that, you know, he was, you know, guilty. And that'll solve the problem because everyone else seems to be in one accord. So that'll bring peace by doing that. Now that's not the case. We're going to go right into chapter 23, verse 1. When Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. That is funny, huh? I know some of you are like, I want to use that. So 
God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? So here he is, just presenting the fact, look, I have lived my life being a good citizen. I did nothing wrong. Well, people would say, hold on, you were killing Christians like crazy. What do you mean you did nothing wrong? At the time, he believed he was doing the will of God. And the Jews would support that. That he was going out doing the will of God, killing Christians because he believed that they were blasphemous. That what they were doing was wrong. And so here he is saying, hey, I'm innocent. Now, when he became a Christian, he didn't go killing Jews. He just went and shared the gospel with them, telling them the truth. And, and so this is a changed life. But Paul, in his own eyes, said, I didn't do anything wrong. I was supporting the Jews by going out and doing. I got letters from the chief priests to go out and incarcerate the Christians, bring them back to Jerusalem and kill them, put them in prison, whatever it took. So he explained that whole thing to them. And now here he is sitting in front of the council. Who's the council? The council are these 70 Jews that are the Sanhedrin. And they were the Sadducees and Pharisees made up the council. And I don't know if all 70 were there, but it was a council that had the right then to um, interrogate him and make uh, decisions on, on, you know, on the behalf of the Jews for what was going to take place. But here, this wasn't a Jewish court. They were brought in because the commander wanted to hear what they had to say and he wanted to hear what Paul had to say. And they were speaking in a language that he understood now. And so he was now going to get all of the information. So the first thing he sees is Paul being offering up the fact I didn't do anything wrong and then Ananias, Ananias, this is a different Ananias from the time of Jesus, but this Ananias, he was um, put in power by Herod Agrippa II in 47 AD. And um, this Ananias was a creep by, you know, our normal standards. Um, he was stealing money from the Jewish priests that were at the temple, he would steal their tithe money and keep it for himself. And many of the priests were sick and dying because of the fact that they were starving to death. And so this was a creep. As a matter of fact, when there was a rebellion against Rome, the first thing that the Jews did when they rebelled against Rome was to take Herod, uh, not Herod, uh, to take Ananias, burn his house down, and then they chased him to the temple, uh, excuse me, to um, Herod Agrippa's home, his 
um, residence there, and they killed him there at Herod Agrippa's residence. He, he was hiding in an aqueduct, and they found him and killed him. And so uh, it was a, a person that wasn't liked by the Jews because he was siding with the Romans, and he wasn't really liked much by the Romans either because he was a Jew and, and he was a creep. So here is this Herod. He wasn't killed yet, obviously, because, I mean, this um, Ananias. I apologize for getting them all mixed up in my head. But here's Ananias, and he... Now, how is Paul going to know that he was the high priest? There's only one way that he probably would have recognized that he was the high priest, and that would be the clothing that he was wearing. He would wear the clothes of a high priest. He may not have been fully attired in his high priestly clothes because um, he was probably on the down low knowing that um, he was going to be entering a place that was going to be a little hostile to him. And he was like, had the secret service with him. He was being brought into the back room and, and he, he knew that the Jews didn't care much for him. And so that was one option. But the other fact is that Paul's eyesight was terrible. That was probably the thorn in his side. He, he always mentions that um, he uh, couldn't see very well. He mentioned that, you know, there were a church that would pluck out their own eyes and give them to him if it were possible. You know, he mentioned the fact, look at what large letters I'm writing with. You know it's, it's me signing this letter because of the large letters that I'm using um, to sign it. So most people, most scholars understand that he was, he had a problem with his eyes after the Damascus Road incident. He didn't get fully healed. He got healed enough where he was able to get around, um, but he didn't um, have his full vision. And so now he is judged according to the law um, that is the Jewish law. He's being judged, but the fact is he didn't even break any of their laws, and they were going to smack him in the mouth. It doesn't say that he did get smacked in the mouth. It just says that he commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And then Paul said, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Well, what does that mean? What is a whitewashed wall? Well, um, if you have a dirty wall, maybe graffiti written on the wall, Ananias is a jerk, you know, they would go and they would wash it with white paint. They'd cover it up with white paint or anything they could do to cover up um, those words. And so he was basically saying, you're just a dirty wall, you know, uh, and you're, you just have white paint on you to make you look good. Uh, this is very similar to the whitewashed sepulchers when Jesus called them whitewashed sepulchers, uh, or um, excuse me, John the Baptist called them whitewashed sepulchers because the priests were empty 
on the inside. They were full of dead men's bones, and, but they looked so good on the outside. And uh, that's where Paul's really going with this. Even the action of striking him in the mouth before he was um, determined he was guilty was illegal. So it's an illegal thing that was taking place. It was a crime. And Paul is being reminded here they were going to smack him in the mouth. He's being reminded of what not to say. Now those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. And so that's really where we're at. You know, we're not supposed to speak evil of people that God has put in authority. Even if you don't like them, we're not supposed to speak evil of them. It doesn't matter which party they're from. (laughs) Pharisees or Sadducees. Oh, I know what you were thinking. (laughs) But we're not supposed to speak evil. And, uh, you know, so Paul calls that out. I know. Basically, it was a, a, a mild form of apology is really what it was. And Paul then reveals his clever side by dividing the council against itself uh, in verse 6, where he says, but when Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when, they, when he had said this, A dissension rose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And so this is what I was talking about last week, where the fact that the Pharisees believe in the spirit, they believe in life after death, they believe in the resurrection of the dead, they believe in angels, The Sadducees didn't believe in any of that. Sadducees believe that, you know, when you die, you just go into the ground, life is over, that's it. That's why they were sad, you see? (laughs) Remember it that way. It's very easy to remember it. You know, so they were, but they were the majority. The Sadducees were the majority. And the Pharisees, but the Pharisees had the heart of the people. Because they gave hope. If you were told, hey, there is no life after death. This is it. This is the best you get. And now pay me for that information. Uh, that, that's just drastic, isn't it? So Paul claimed now to be uh, being accused uh, of the fact that he believes in a resurrection of the dead. That's how come he's on trial here. Well, that wasn't true either. He was kind of making a stretch there, you know, but it was a good one. And he was able to throw everyone off because now it just divided the very people that were there and they were starting to fight with each other. And now Paul's just going to sit back and watch. This is going to get fun. Verse 9, then there arose a loud outcry and the scribes, of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, 
saying, We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. Well, you know, when, when it says take him by force, they weren't forcing him. He, they were taking him to safety. They were forcing the other ones to stop, you know, beating on him and stop trying to grab him. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Prophecy. Here was a prophecy. God telling Paul, you're going to Rome. Nothing's going to change that. So now Paul knows no matter what happens here, I'm going to Rome. I'm going to get an opportunity to preach in Rome and to share the good news with the Romans. And he knew that he was called to the Gentiles. So this was probably like, wow, this is all kind. Now I see where you're going. Have you ever been look, looking, were, were looking for where God was going to direct you? What God was going to do through you? What God was going to do, period. And you were just looking for some sign. Lord, send me a sign. You know, and then as you're driving, you see the sign, Lexus. Oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to buy a Lexus. You know, and some people get distracted by signs. Some people think, okay, this looks like a sign of what I'm supposed to be doing. It, it, it um, I, my heart has just been open to buying a Lexus, and there it is. There's the sign. Well, yeah, if you drive by a Lexus dealer every day, of course you're going to... See, for me, that's also part of the Ten Commandment. Don't covet. And, you know, what? And sometimes we get caught up in that. We covet things, and then, you know, oh, I want that. That's what I want. And I you know, achieve. And it must be God's will because now I've got everything I want. How many people have got everything you want and you're still not content? That is a problem for every human on the face of the earth. We get everything that we want and it doesn't bring contentment. The only thing that brings contentment is the Holy Spirit in our lives leading and guiding us. You know when we find this out? When we look at what we have and say, I really don't need any of it. It's not important. And, you know, it's nice, you know, but it's not the most important thing. And that's when we find true contentment. 
Paul was content with the idea that he was going to Rome to go preach to the Greeks. The, well, they weren't Greeks, they were Romans, but the Gentiles, the non-Jews, he was going to go preach in Rome and he was going to be able to share with them. The, the Pharisees were actually standing up. The, scribe, the, the scribes for the Pharisees were standing up for him. They were the ones saying, hey, you know what? This man didn't do anything wrong. I didn't find any evil in him. And they're now realizing, oh, we may be fighting against God. Gamaliel, Paul's teacher, said the same thing in Acts chapter 5 when he was talking about Peter and the boys getting locked up in prison and then an angel let them out and they left the prison. Uh, you know, so Gamaliel didn't know that Peter was left out of the prison, but he was meeting with the Sanhedrin and they were deciding what they were going to do. And Gamaliel said, let it alone. Man, you guys, you got this in your head that you have to kill anyone that doesn't agree with you. Is that what we're seeing in the world today? That's the same mentality in our world today. You know, I don't agree with you, so you must die. Now, that's not what they're saying. But it sure is an attitude that I see out there. And it's on both sides. And it's ugly. And this is the work of the enemy. Just like Paul used these two groups of people and he saw that he was able to divide them by just standing to one side and getting people on his side, he was able to divide. We're seeing the same thing in our world today. I have the solution. I know the official that's going to solve all the problems. His name's Jesus. And we voted for him when we asked him into our lives. And so our king is coming. And we are going to be in the winning kingdom. Uh, it's exciting. It's exciting. So we can look at things differently uh, when we consider things that way. Gamaliel said back there in Acts 5.38, And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan is the work of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. That's what's happening in our world today. People think they can overthrow God. People that are atheists believe that they have the solution, that they have the understanding and the knowledge of what we need to know. You know, people uh, that are um, other religions, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, Mormon, they believe they have the answers of how to have a relationship with God and how to spend eternal life. They all have different answers to how to get there. Uh, but 
God did not make many roads to get to him. There's one road, and it's narrow, and it's not the easy road. And that's the way that he set before us so that we can find him. And then he, you, you know what you guys are? GPS. God's personal servants. You see, you are supposed to share the good news with others to direct them. See, you have the map. They look at this and they go, I can't understand the map. I don't know how to read a map. Have you ever? Have, are you one of those people that don't know how to read a map? Okay, I was a navigator in the military. I know how to read maps, charts, and, and I know how to read things. I don't even know what they are. I read them because they tell me how to get from point A to point B. That's what this is. And we do know what this says. And so there are people out there that need to hear the good news and they need the directions of how to get there. You don't have to know the whole Bible. You only know, have to know how Jesus saved you. And then that's the beginning of sharing how they can get into a relationship with God the Father because you already have it. You've already been there. You've done that. You get the way there. And so in the world right now, things are dark. Things are ugly. And they're not getting much better. But that's a great time to know the direction that people have to go. It doesn't matter what you believe in prophetically. It doesn't matter if you're pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, no-trib. It doesn't matter what you believe about that. Me, personally, I believe that Jesus is coming soon for us. And he's going to take us up out of here. If you believe it's post-trib or mid-trib, you can stay. I'm going. I'm out of here. Because I don't believe that the wrath of God is meant for his children. And that's why I believe we're not going to be here. So here's the good news. Jesus is coming. He's told us that. He told us to be ready when he comes, to be watching when he comes. That's the most important thing, is that we're ready and that we're watching. And when, have you ever stood out on the street and looked up and people came along? What are you looking at? What are you looking for? You know, when you're looking, people are going to ask, what are you looking for? You don't have to stand out in the street looking up. But when you live looking up, people are going to notice and they're going to ask you, what are you waiting on? And then we can tell them the good news. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Once again, Paul shows us that um, there are many options out there, but um, there's only one that is the truth. And, you know, we're, we know what not to say now. Uh, we, we know what gets us in trouble. But we also know that when we stand for you, when we tell the truth, the good news is going to open the hearts of people that are dying to hear from you. So, 
Father, we pray that we would be light shining in the darkness, that your truth would go before us and prepare the hearts of those people that you want us to minister to. Thank you, Lord, for using us and including us in your plan, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Usually I do a, a um, devotional or uh, a benediction when we walk away from the service. And I'm changing things up a little bit today. I'm going to do the benediction now. And then we will together um, worship one last song. So let's please stand. This benediction comes from 2 Timothy 4.18. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And amen. If anyone needs prayer after service, I'd love to pray with you. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Let's worship together one last song. Yeah. Uh-huh.